Hey guys, I'm super excited for today's show. Those of you guys who aren't familiar with the name Aaron Green and you're in the real estate industry, I'm surprised. He's a wonderful attorney that so many of us do refer to our clients when they have you know, any needs having to do with real estate. He also does probate. He also does estate planning and really anything business related. I hate to say even bankruptcy. He's an amazing attorney. I'm super excited to hear what he has to say today and look forward to learning right along with the rest of you guys. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to our show and thanks for joining us. This is Grateful Heart, the motivational Arizona real estate and business show. We're here to inspire you to believe in yourself, to dare to dream about your infinite and divine possibilities, to blow open your mind to creating your most abundant reality possible as our thoughts are so powerful. I found turning my own personal grief into gratitude raised my vibration to be in tune for receiving prosperity, health, and connecting to God's source. I'm your host, Rebecca Raines of Integrity All-Stars at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and I have been selling homes here in the Valley since 1993. If you have any questions and are watching us live on our Facebook page, you can comment and we will do our best to answer while we are live on the show, so do not be shy. Today on our program, we have some great guests for you. Live from Phoenix, Arizona, it's the Grateful Heart Show with your host, Rebecca Raines. Welcome, I'm Rebecca Hidalgo Rains with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services and Grateful Heart TV. Today with Joe Smith. So much easier than Rebecca. <laughs> of Epic Mortgage. He's my cohort in crime for today's show and next week's show. And we have special guests getting ready to join us. I'd like to share with you a little about our next guest, if I can switch over the screen. There we go. So for I go ahead and go to the screen for me. We have none other than Aaron Green, attorney at law, joining us live, which you know is pretty awesome. And the reason why it's pretty awesome is real estate. I don't know if you knew this, Joe, but us realtors can actually legally write contracts because of ARS, Arizona Revised Statutes, Chapter 32, I believe. We'll see if Aaron corrects me. And I know that because I, for a small stint, I was actually a paralegal and went to paralegal school with dreams of being none other than Aaron himself, an attorney. And I decided, and not for me, but I know Aaron's an awesome attorney. Welcome, Aaron, to the show today. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Well, what's so cool about you, Aaron, is you do real estate law, but you have a huge mortgage background and you do other things besides real estate. So I'm going to let you talk about your background. I do have it on the website for those people who'd like to come back and look later. I'm definitely going to be sharing with how to get a hold of Aaron. But Aaron, you did go to ASU. So good for you because Joe and I both like you. We were also ASU folks. And so good job there. After ASU and you went and got your law degree... What have you been doing with yourself these last mm, 20 plus years? Uh, well, so at a law school, I wasn't really sure I wanted to practice law. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine was opening a mortgage company and uh, he was nice enough to let a number of us kind of buy into that. Mm -hmm. So we started up this mortgage company and um, it failed horribly to start off with, but we uh, persevered and ended up being, I think, uh, I forget what year, but like, 04 or 05, we were, I think, the seventh largest um, mortgage brokerage banker in the state of Arizona. What was the name uh, of the mortgage company? It was called Carnegie First. Carnegie First. So that name might mean something to Joe because he just yes. made this face. I remember Which Carnegie was a good First. face, right? 
Yeah. Those good old days. <laughs> yeah, I totally remember Carnegie first. And so since then, the crash hit, and you probably weren't writing as many mortgage loans, I'm guessing. Is that when you decided to go back into doing law that you went to and got your degree in? Kind of. I had a, a, a business partner dispute where I kind of left just before then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when that happened, uh, I decided to fall back. Uh, on that legal career, and um, I worked for a, a small boutique firm. Uh, we handled the AAR broker hotline, and okay. really became inundated with um, real estate law. And uh, worked there for a number of years, and then I've been on my own for quite some time. So, time out, real quick, so everybody understands the AAR broker hotline is kind of a big deal. He's being very humble and mentioning that he's done that. What that means is brokers like myself, I used to own my own company and I was my own designated broker. As a member of the Arizona Association of Realtors, I had the opportunity when I ran into an issue that I couldn't solve myself, I could call the broker hotline and somebody like Aaron, Aaron, you actually probably answered the phone when I owned my own uh, brokerage, when I called more than once during, oh, I don't know, between 2009 and 2014. I'm now with Berkshire Hathaway, so that stuff's above my pay grade now. I don't have to worry about litigious things. I have somebody else who calls the broker hotline now on my behalf and thank the Lord, baby Jesus. (laughs) So let's talk about that broker hotline, Aaron, because of course that comes of interest to me. I'm a real estate broker. Joe's a mortgage broker. When we have people upset, they don't usually call us. They call people like you. So what are some of the things that are landing in your lap in today's day and age? We're talking 2021, after COVID quarantine, the market's on fire. What are people the most pissed off about? Because, you know, you only get to meet them when they're upset, right? Yeah, unfortunately, I used to say on the AAR hotline that nobody calls with questions like, we just closed and everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Never got any calls like that. Um, I always get calls from you're not going to believe what happened. So I see uh, the worst and, you know, the one out of 10,000 cases that go sideways. But with the market being so hot, that's those are a lot of issues that I've been seeing recently. Um, sellers that don't want to sell, you know, they know they can sell their house for $15,000 more, you know, a month later. Um, buyers that are waiving every contingency in the world. And then they're getting uh, cold feet a week out of closing. They don't want to buy anymore uh, or they found another house that they like better. Uh, so trying to get out of contracts from both sides because. So you're talking uh, about just, seller's yeah, remorse and buyer's remorse, correct? On both sides I'm of sorry. the equation. I said you're talking about both sellers and buyer's remorse, right? That you're seeing correct. a lot I represent of. both buyers and sellers. Okay. So seller's remorse and buyer's remorse. Out of curiosity, because of the way our contracts are written, Mr. Attorney, how often can a seller get out of a contract he signed and agreed to? The short answer is never. That's what I was looking for. Um, Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Yeah. the, The only time a seller can typically cancel is if the buyer breached. So if the buyer breaches, the seller can cancel. Otherwise, the seller's obligated. That's the legal answer. The practical question, though, is as long as they're netting money, you know, if if they have to bring money to close or they have title issues or something else, then then you can't really uh, require them to close or, or the law can't force them to. 
as a practicality, but the legal answer is a seller never has a, uh, an opportunity to, to cancel. So seller's remorse might happen, but a seller who comes to you saying, Aaron, I can sell my house for more money tomorrow and I don't know what I was thinking. Help me get out of this. What do you normally say to them, Aaron? Sorry, too bad? Or do you pursue particular avenues perhaps to maybe help them if there's an opportunity? Like, are there any loopholes for a seller to maybe... I actually heard, okay, so I'm going to, while you're thinking on that, answering that question, I'm going to give you a scenario that I heard, and I want to see if this is actually legit or not. Um, somebody told me recently, it was up on the AAR um, hotline, that not to use honor before language in your paperwork on your contract because a seller maybe could call the before a, a buyer's ready and cure them if there's honor before close of escrow date. I know it sounds weird. You're looking at me, Joe, like, what? So um, a close of escrow, honor before, commonly used. We use it all the time. We love it. We love it because it gives you the flexibility to not having to have another addendum, right, Joe? Right. If you can close less early. Less paperwork is better. Yeah, less paperwork is better. But what if um, we're supposed to close at the end of the month, honor before the end of the month, and it's like, I don't know, today, the 22nd of February, and the seller's like, I got somebody who wants to pay me 15 grand more cash. I need to get rid of this current buyer. That particular agent was stupid enough to use honor before language. I'm going to say I want to close tomorrow and cure them for not being able to close. So you want to execute the before part of the contract. Correct. So is a before, honor before, a unilateral option on both parties? I'm just kind of curious because I've used honor before gazillion times, never had it bite me, but never heard that a seller could actually unilaterally say, I want the before to happen today. So I'm going to give you the lawyer answer, and I apologize. <laughs> Aaron, I wanted this to be a good show today. Just stop being an attorney and just tell us the truth. Insert your disclaimers and tell us what you think. Comes to lawyers and they want they want a yes or no answer. <laughs> and the problem with that is that there's over a hundred judges in the Maricopa County Superior Court. True. And I can promise you that there's some judges that would say, well, yeah, the, it says honor before, so the seller has the right to push it up. Um, but I would think the vast majority would say that's just not uh, allowable unilaterally. Uh, that's not what was meant. And I, I think, think so. you know, 80, 90 percent would would say no. Uh, it's at the same time. The, the reason why that verbiage is not good is because you should just have one close of escrow date. If the both parties agree, you can always change it to whatever you want to. Um, but if you have honor before, what does that mean? Does that mean either party gets to slide it? No, it means that they both have to agree. And if they both have to agree. You might as well just, um, you know, sign. Do another addendum. Agenda. Well, also, these judges that are hearing the case, they're not like real designated judges. real estate judges. So they they're hearing these terms for kind of the maybe who knows the first time. And it has to be explained by probably both lawyers uh, for them to decide. So and what the intent behind it was. They don't know that we've used this term for probably 50 years on or before. Right. So, so the moral to the story, what I heard happen in that particular scenario, Aaron, was that the seller won um, that dispute because, of course, there was an earnest money dispute. He basically called for closing early. Buyer couldn't perform. They did a cured notice. Buyer couldn't perform. He canceled them. He resold the house and he kept the buyer's earnest money for failure Ouch. to perform. So I, when I heard that one, I'm like, oh my God, I'm no, never, never using again. God before <laughs> never again. again. You know, cause we're, we're always, we learn from every deal. Even though I've been doing real estate for 28 years now, 
I tell new agents all the time, I'm always learning because every deal is different and the market's always changing, which changes the context sometimes for the people's behaviors as to why maybe a seller would want in today's environment to do, do an honor before where when maybe it's more of a buyer's market, that's the last thing a seller wants to do. So, okay, did you figure out your answer yet on my previous question, Mr. Attorney? He's like, oh, crap, of what course. was that? Oh, did you? Okay, let's hear it. Well, and that's the thing. So you go to battle with what you have. So if you have something like Honor before, now you have something to kind of hang your hat on to right. try to get off of it. Uh, same thing, um, not cooperating with the Binzer process, uh, being real um, jerks about, you know, inspections, just fighting them on every little term, uh, trying to discourage the buyer to, to pursue their legal rights. Right. So if you if a seller comes to you and says, Aaron, I need out of this because I got a backup buyer who's throwing $15,000 more at me cash. I want to go with the other buyer. How do I get out of this contract? And your legal number one answer is, sorry, you can't. But what loopholes are there for sellers? Are there any at all? Or do they just have to pray that the buyer screws up on one of their contingencies? Yeah, they pretty much have to pray that the buyer uh, screws up or doesn't want to pursue it. So usually, again, I would say, you know, don't agree to anything on the Binzer. If they want in on Thursday, make them wait till Friday. You know, honor the contract, but be as big a jerk as you can. And, and then also away. offer them money, you know, offer them money to try to work out a deal to make, make them, them go, go away. Up. You give them five grand and you keep the other 10. Yeah. What, what I found when I'm on this on one of the sides of a transaction like that, typically the buyers dig in their heels and no matter how much of a jerk the seller's being, they're going to close on it, especially today, because today's market is so competitive and so cited to the sellers right now that when a buyer can get under contract, the last thing most of them want to do is cancel unless... They waived a whole bunch of stuff and then they figured out that maybe they're paying more than they should for that home that probably needs a new roof in the next two years. So let's talk about that one, Aaron. When you have a buyer who's offering a gazillion things to make their offers as gorgeous as possible so that when they're one out of 45 people, which yes, had happened to me recently, and their offer gets accepted and then all of a sudden they go through their inspection and they can't ask for repairs because they waived the right to ask for repairs what are you telling them on how to get out? Or is every case just super unique? Well, every case is super unique, but there are some, some tools that you can use as a buyer to, to try to move on. Um, again, because the market is so hot, sometimes it's just a matter of, you know what, we'd like to back out. Are you okay with that? A lot of sellers might be okay with that, and that might be a way to get out. The other tool that I use... You'd be out of business, buddy. (laughs) You'd be out of business if that were the case. Well, the the other thing you can do, and this is something that should not be done cavalierly, and you're going to go to war over this, um, but you can typically use the uh, seller property disclosure statement as a way in case you kind of discover something big after the inspection period. Um, If Failure for them to disclose something. Yeah, if the buyer finds something, especially if it's after the inspection period, you can always make demand on the seller to update their spuds. Mm-hmm. And once they do, so, the buyer has five days to cancel. Uh, if the seller refuses to update the spuds, you cure them for not updating the spuds as they're required to do. And what about that one thing that I always see, and I rarely ever actually have it happen? Doesn't the contract say something about that they must receive within five days 
I don't know, something from Tidal, maybe the CC&Rs, and rarely do they get it in that five days. Do you ever use that clause to try to help somebody cancel a contract? Maybe they are having buyer's remorse over? So the once they get the preliminary title report or any, any updates, they get five days to cancel because of that. So if you don't like uh, deed restrictions or anything in there, which almost every house has, you can mm-hmm. always hang your hat on that. Um, unfortunately, the people that see me usually see me last minute and all those time periods have already expired. Right. Yeah, I can't imagine it's very fun. So what else are you seeing in your practice currently that maybe Joe and I should keep an eye out for as lenders and realtors dealing with buyers and sellers in a very emotional market? I think uh, setting good expectations is always the, the most important thing. From a legal standpoint, the biggest area of my practice is always seller disclosures. Um, so properly disclosing on the spuds is is the most important thing a seller can do, in my opinion, to protect themselves. Okay, so you say that, and me as the realtor, I'm going to tell you, real practice, I send my clients the seller's disclosures, and when they call me, you're going to be proud of me, Aaron. This might be the paralegal of me. When they call me and they ask me, hey, should I? And as soon as they say, hey, should I? I'm like, if you're questioning whether you should, that means you need to put it on there. I don't care what it is. You saw a squirrel two years ago. Whatever it is, if you think, if you're thinking about it, because guess what? Those are always the phone calls I get after the fact. Um, and your your cohort um, Dax that you went to college with that we're both having common. I remember years ago, I had called him about a situation when I was my own broker on the hotline, and he's like, Rebecca, just get out your checkbook, just get it out. Uh, and I'm like, uh, oh, no. And it I, wasn't for him? No, oh. and it wasn't for him. I always hate it when attorneys tell you just to get out your checkbook. But basically what they're telling you is it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong, but just going down the path that you're going to find out real quick, you should have just gotten out your checkbook because it's not worth it. So what are some of the things, you know, I was really surprised. I know I shared with you a situation recently over an earnest money dispute. And this part was interesting to me. Don't worry, Joe, I'm going to keep you out of this. I promise. So on this dispute that happened, what was interesting to me is the title company always in years past, I've always seen a buyer and seller are upset, a deal cancels for whatever reason. I don't care who the remorse is, but there's a fight because both sides think they're right. And the title company, you called it interpleading. The title company recently on a transaction, instead of making the decision, buyer's right, seller's right, let's release the earnest money, they sent it to Maricopa County Superior Court. And they named that they filed a complaint and they named the buyer and the seller as co-defendants on a lawsuit. And I'd never seen such a thing. When I explained it to Aaron, this, this scenario, he's like, oh yeah, they made them interplead. I'm like, what the heck is interplead? Can you explain What, when people, because people are emotional, they're making a bunch of decisions right now, high on emotions, and then they kick themselves later, whether they're buyers or sellers. If the title company won't make a decision, what's the outcome? What am I talking about? Can you explain it in just regular terms so people know what they could be dealing with if the title company can't make up their mind? Sure. So the purchase contract gives the title company full discretion on what to do with the funds. They can give it to the buyer, the seller, uh, or they can hold on to it or they can interplead it. Typically, the title company doesn't want to get involved in these disputes. So what an interpleader is, is, look, it's not my money. We don't know whose it is. So they're going to open a court case and they're going to deposit the funds with the court. 
and then everybody else can sue to try to get those funds. So when you interplead, that means it forced both buyer and seller to come to an arrangement, which on my particular situation, they did just come to an agreement on Friday. Parties signed, and now I believe the court is releasing funds. The sad thing about my particular situation that I'm referring to, I'd shared with you, Aaron, the dispute was $15,000 earnest deposit. Within a month period of time, the title company attorney racked up $4,000 fees and they reduced the earnest money deposit in question by that amount. So in my opinion, I think both sides lost, period, just because it went so far with the attorneys with respect to the title company. I'd never seen it in my 28 years, but I don't fight earnest money a lot. I'm the agent who likes just to move on to the next transaction and not waste a bunch of time fighting. I'd rather resolve things ahead of time. Um, But I just thought that was really interesting because when I shared the story with you, you're like, oh, yeah, they made them interplead. Like, it happens all the time. I'd never seen it. Joe, had you ever seen it before? I've never never seen that, but I don't really – I'm not privy to that part of the transaction. I'm usually out of the way – once it funds or it doesn't fund. So I actually have a question for Aaron. Aaron, what is the lender's liability in these transactions with either not performing or not meeting the the contract part? What what do what do we bear as lenders? And I'm going to learn something here because I'm not exactly sure. We don't really have that issue too often, but well, I'm sure it happens. you don't, but right. there's a lot of lenders out there. I say this all the time. There's a lot of agents out there that make me look bad, and there's just as many lenders yes. that make guys like you look bad, too. Yes. And let's not even get started on the attorney back here. So what, what, do, the, what, do, we, what, what do we have in the contract that, that we have to abide by, so to say? I think what he's referring to is in our particular situation, the buyer claimed they lost their job. And if a lender writes down that they cannot get a loan because of job loss, what if down the road you found out that maybe that lender lied to help the buyer get out of a contract? Does that ever happen, Aaron? So I've not seen cases like that, um, but you're correct. What what I hear a lot more of is, well, the lender is friends with the buyer and they're just making up a, um, you know, a letter saying that they didn't qualify because they just want their earnest money back because of the loan contingency. Submit a loan denial at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as a lender, I mean, obviously you guys are regulated, so you're not allowed to just lie. So it would be a a very big detriment for you on that. That's important to know. I don't really see, yeah, I don't really see liability from the seller so much. Although I guess you could make that argument if, if in fact it was just a fictitious letter. Um, but I think the regulations are, are the more concerning. The, the other potential I see is, and this is more so from the buyer, if the buyer, you know, if you told the buyer that they qualified and they waived contingencies based on that, and it turns out you just didn't do a good job and they never really qualified, you know, potentially you'd have liability from the buyer suing you saying, hey, I lost my $15,000 in earnest money because you said you could give me a loan and I couldn't. That's interesting. Um, I waived all these contingencies because of it. Hmm. That, now, that's definitely interesting information. Um, what's funny is the week that this particular deal that we're talking about, the interpleading, on the flip side, I was a listing agent and I had a VA buyer loan denial sent to me. Get this, Aaron. Denial sent to me after we waited two months for them to close, being nice, right? My client kept extending, 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 just wanted to help the vet out. 
And literally the same morning, I was sent a denial requesting earnest money to come back. And I did not fight with the title company because I'm nice and I just wanted to move on. But she called me within an hour and said, just give me one more day, Rebecca, we'll get it done. So on one hand, I'm being issued a loan denial. And then within an hour, the buyer's lender is calling me going, I know I told you I'd get it done yesterday, but we can get it done today. So Aaron, in that scenario... Had Rebecca kept the earnest money because they didn't perform, then the buyer, if they if something wasn't done properly, could go back to the lender and for sue recourse, perhaps. and sue for the for that earnest money that they lost because the lender didn't calculate a debt to income correctly or they had provided all the information and the lender just botched it. Let me take a quick commercial break oh. and we're gonna come back for the answer on that. Hold on, real quick, poquito. Hi, my name is Rob Sell. I'm with Sell Home Inspections. Been doing home inspections in the Valley for about 20 years. I do a variety of home inspections from new builds, resale, commercial, multifamily units, fourplexes, duplexes, and even on up from there. I can be reached at 602-908-7355. Again, 602-908-7355. Thank you, and I appreciate it, and I look forward to hearing from you. Have you been thinking about buying a new house or refinancing your existing mortgage? Interest rates are still around historically low levels. Why pay a higher rate when you don't have to? Call Joe Smith, me, at Epic Mortgage LLC, 602-741-4121 for a free mortgage quote or pre-qualification. Epic Mortgage LLC is a locally owned, independent mortgage brokerage that provides low-cost options for its customers. Independently owned means low overhead, so you get the best rates, fees, and service. Keep more of your money. Brokers are better. Realtor recommended for over 20 years? Contact me, Joe Smith, at Epic Mortgage today, 602-741-4121. Hi, I'm Rebecca Hidalgo Reigns with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. I've been selling homes here in the Valley for over a quarter of a century already. I want to say that experience truly matters, so when you're looking for your realtor to help you either buy or sell your biggest purchase of your life, I hope you'll consider using me. However, my experience doesn't matter nearly as much as my clients' experience. I dare you to Google me. You'll see nothing but fantastic reviews because I truly care to help navigate you and your family to the very best experience you'll ever have with buying a home. Whether purchasing a home or refinancing, we know you have choices when it comes to choosing a title company. Lawyer's Title is the leading source for all title, escrow, and marketing needs. With access to the largest group of title insurance underwriters, Lawyer's Title facilitates successful closings and protects clients from fraud. Creating solutions that save time and money for everyone, ask a realtor or loan officer today about using Lawyer's Title on your next real estate transaction. Lawyer's Title is a member of the Fidelity National Financial Family. Okay, we're back from break. Thank you for holding out. So go ahead and answer that question, Aaron and Joe. Where do we leave off? You were posing the question to Aaron, right, before yes. we went to break? Okay. Yeah, so that is definitely the argument. The argument is is just negligence. You know, you fell below the standard of care by letting them uh, think that they could get their loan done. You know, and because of that, you caused them to lose their earnest money. 
So that's interesting because Bank it was Bank of England and they were brokering the deal. They couldn't do the deal themselves, so they were brokering it out to somebody. And then, um, I don't know, a few weeks after they're supposed to close, she calls me saying, well, they're so busy. I'm going to broker it to another lender mm. at the same time. And I know one of these guys are going to come through for me. And then, like, literally two months passed. Nothing. And, well, and in the meantime, I'd issued cures. I, I learned something all the time. So I'd issued a cure, and unfortunately, my cure was deemed not valid because I didn't cancel immediately upon issuing a cure notice. I learned something new all the time. I don't know, Aaron, if you've run across that before, but my brokerage uh, said that, yeah, it's not going to flex. I issued a cure right afterwards, and then my seller went ahead and let them have more time, and nobody did anything. The cure was just kind of ignored. About a month and a half later, I'm like, I'm just canceling it. I'm done. I'm over it with these people. And the minute I did that, then guess what? Within three days, I got a loan denial. And then within an hour of getting that loan denial, I went getting called saying, just give us one more day. We can do it. And I was over it. We already resold it and we just moved on. And I didn't fight to keep the money. We could have, but it was a vet. And I did feel sorry for him. He spent the money on an appraisal and on an inspection. And he really wanted the house. Like, why put him through any more? But it is a very litigious world we're living in. And then when people are upset, which they're very upset right now, all the time. And we're going to talk about the numbers, why they're so upset. Buyers and sellers and everybody seems to be upset today. What about you, Joe? Because I know you came in this morning when I saw you and you're like... It's a little panic, a little panic. Yeah. A little downtrodden today. What are you a little downtrodden about? Let's just give folks a teaser of what our next show is going to be about. We've had such a great run of amazing rates. And let's say they're not quite as amazing as they were 10 days ago. Okay. So, But they're still pretty amazing in the context of the you know cycle of rates, right? They might not be amazing, but they're excellent. They're excellent. They're okay. excellent. Maybe not so amazing. We'll be talking about that on our next show. Before we let Aaron go, because Aaron, I, I don't get an attorney on here very often. You guys don't like to be put on the spot very often. But if you enjoyed the experience, I'll make sure to put you on the spot again. But before we do, I want to swipe over to your website, Aaron, because what I thought was really cool, if anybody who's watching wants to get more Aaron in their life, they just go to greenlawaz.com. But what was cool about, well, let's see if I can get this thing to move. Bear with me, Aaron. I think you should be able to see my screen, right? Yes. Okay, good. There we go. So it talks all about your background, which I knew some of it before. But what I thought was really neat was in the practices and areas that you practice, you do bankruptcy work, you do estate planning work, and you do general business work besides real estate. So out of curiosity, with the way the market's going right now in the economy, do you have more bankruptcies today than you did, say, a year ago right now? And what did bankruptcy look like during COVID? So... Surprisingly, real estate has been very, very strong and I've been very, very busy with real estate. There's not been very much bankruptcy at all to date, uh, which is kind of surprising. Um, and that's awesome. You know, when the, I call it the hiccup, if you all remember the 2007, 2008, 2009. I don't remember that. Uh, real estate market. But uh, not a lot of people fighting over earnest money then and a no. whole lot of folks going bankrupt. I was kind of expecting that. But at least as of now, it hasn't happened. And, you know, that's another component, I do believe, when people talk about um, they're expecting this market to crash just like the last big burst crashed. I always talk about the um, 
population growth here in Arizona and why the supply and demand is nothing like it was last time. But it's interesting because I was right there with you, Erin. During the last downturn, a lot of my clients were filing bankruptcy because they couldn't, they lost their jobs, the values of their houses dropped. Like it was like the storm where so many people were filing for bankruptcy. I'm glad to hear you're not seeing that because during the downturn, that's what we saw a ton of. So it just is another component of what's different this time around than last time. Last time we saw a lot of people paying for their cars and their credit cards and not their houses when they ran out of money. And today it just sounds like you're just not seeing nearly as much of any of that, which is fantastic. Um, about estate planning, before you came on the show, Joe told me about a scenario he wanted to run past you. Do you remember which one it was with the refi? No. You mentioned something about uh, estate planning and how title was taken on one of oh. your transactions. Why don't you run that past, Aaron? So we just had a, a bunch of questions on, generally speaking, nobody understands the titling of their property. So, and the title companies will not advise. I will not advise. I won't advise I either. Won't advise. So, so I'll advise. Of, okay, yeah, good you job. You'll advise for, for an hourly fee. You will be happy to advise. So, how does it work when you when you're titling your property, and let's say for instance you you've titled it incorrect, and now somebody has passed, are you subject to what how you titled your property, and is there any recourse to titling your property incorrectly if you went joint tenants and you should have gone a different way and somebody passed away and so someone passed. this yeah. is where you're asking like basically a probate slash estate planning yeah. question because you want to know had they planned better could, would you guys have landed in the same boat and now that you are in the same boat what can be done right so how, how do they safeguard themselves let's say if they're husband wife or partners at some sense to if they're the other person passes that they don't get stuck going through probate because that's a that is a whole process for a whole other show and that's really it so probate is the only way to kind of clean that title issue up the only positive is that there's an exception for small estates so if you have a small estate sometimes you can transfer real property by affidavit what qualifies as small yeah what define small for us Aaron so if it's one house and there's really no other assets, um, you if the equity is $100,000 or less, but the value is based on the assessor's value, which is usually low. Well, very so, much less than retail market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you just have to see if it meets the requirements or not. And it's still, it's still, you know, typically you still need a lawyer. Typically there's still court costs and attorney's fees but it's less than a full probate. So basically, I think that for you, you did a refi and then they did it wrong. What do you mean by they did it wrong? Do you remember the details? It was, yeah, it was, it was just titled, it was initially titled, let's say, a certain way, joint tenants. However, after it was finished, it was titled a different way and the buyers had not realized it was titled a different way. They expected it to be to have carried forward that joint tenants and then somebody passed and that's when they realized that they had not titled it correctly. And so they went to go do a refi with you. So they went to do a refi and then they were they we ended up having to be in the in the probate process. Oh. So is it a happy surprise for you and your client then? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And typically if 
if it's like a married couple, typically you want it with rights of survivorship is so that if one passes, the other one automatically owns the whole amount. And if you own it, like just as an individual, or if you want something different, you can do beneficiary deeds Mm -hmm. where the title automatically transfers. Those are very easy to do. I, I charge, you know, just a few hundred dollars for those things. And it avoids probate, it avoids issues like this down the road. So real quick, Aaron, before we finish up our show today, for the clients that might be watching Joe and I talk today, um, and maybe they want to make sure they have their their ducks in a row, if you will. And I know you do estate planning and you do probate for when people don't do estate planning, which the difference is ahead of time versus after the fact, right? Um, what could somebody like, let's use me as a perfect example, I'm in my mid-40s to late 40s. My husband just hit 50. We do not have a trust. We should have a trust. We do have everything with right of survivorship that we own between each other. We have a business together. If we needed to come down and do some probate, or I'm sorry, some estate planning with you, maybe set up a trust, what would that look like and how much would that how much would we be looking at legal fees to get things done right so that my kids don't have a nightmare to deal with if we both pass at the same time? So for me to take a step back in general, my cell phone is on my website. Uh It's what I use for business. And I'll accept a phone call from anybody and give them five minutes to try to answer a legal question or just tell them my initial thoughts. And I don't charge for that. Okay. The next step with me is is doing a consultation. I do charge for those. They're $250 for one hour. Okay. And typically that gives us a good amount of time to kind of discuss their issue, their alternatives, what everything kind of looks like. In your situation or your question regarding estate planning, that's what we would start off with. And then if you decided to do the full kind of estate planning, uh, you know, creating a, a revocable living trust, mm-hmm. doing durable power of attorneys, healthcare power of attorneys, pour over wills, the whole gamut. Typically, I charge nineteen fifty for that, and I do credit the two fifty against it. That to me seems really that's, worth it. That's super reasonable. I've I've. You should have a trust. Yes, we'll I know. I know. I know. And I know. Bad kid. We're always the worst when we're in the yes, right line. When we're in the line yes. of work, right? So, Aaron, she'll be there next week. <laughs> Don't be surprised if I'm calling. That's a, that is a good. That's a great price. Yeah. I, and so that that protects our kids from having to deal with the mess. When my dad passed a few years ago, it was a tight. It was a total disaster. And you know, I'm. I don't want to put my kids through that. So besides estate planning, just besides your real estate disputes, is there another area of law that we haven't covered that you do offer services for? So that way anybody watching the show today knows what they can call you for, Aaron. Yeah, sure. I appreciate that. But but real quick, I didn't even do my own living trust until my second child was born. So it's really easy to put off. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't point the finger at anybody. Um but yeah, I mean, real estate, probate, estate plan are my biggest ones. Uh, bankruptcy, if it comes up again, I'll, I'll do and can assist with. I do some general business, uh, but it's mostly real estate related uh, folks going into business or joint ventures. Um, but I always kind of tell people, you know, call me first. Usually I can assist or help with people. And if I don't, I know folks that do. You well, know, you can I, point I them in the divorce, right way. Yeah, 
You don't do divorce. That's good. You, that's you know, you'd probably have no hair left if you did because that does not seem like a very fun line of work. I did do my own divorce because I'm a paralegal. So the first time I was, and I've only been divorced once. I, that, I at least I got that out of paralegal school because I learned how to do that. But man. I do not envy your job, Aaron. I know I enjoy selling real estate because it's usually pretty fun, even though today hasn't been very fun. Um, hopefully it'll be fun again soon. Soon. Um, and in the meantime, anybody watching the show, I will make sure you know how to get a hold of Aaron, whether you have need help with probate, estate planning, anything real estate related or business related. And Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure to have you. And if you had fun, I might invite you back if you want to come back. Well, Thank you. I know it's hard to believe, but uh, breaking away from legal research and writing is always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Well, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you, Aaron. And we will talk again soon. Take care, buddy. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get a hold of Aaron Green and get some more Aaron in your life, you can check him out on his website at greenlawaz.com. That's greenlawaz.com. That's probably the easiest way. But if you actually like just to pick up the phone the old-fashioned way and give him a call, you can call him at 602-525-4659 or email him at AG, stands for Aaron Green, AG at greenlawaz.com. What a great show, and thank you for joining us on our mutual journey to becoming unharmable and successful in all of our experiences while we're here in this school of life. We hope you enjoyed it. If you watched us on YouTube, please like and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Likewise, if you're catching us on one of our podcast platforms, be sure to follow us so you never miss out on another one of our shows again. Remember that if you ever have a question about real estate or any of the other topics we cover, check us out on the web, www.gratefulheart.tv, for all of our links to connect with us. Otherwise, we'll have another show for you again right here next Monday at 11 a.m. Arizona time. I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation every single day Every, every single day